The Utah Jazz season has already been a raging success, but it doesn't change the plans heading into the trade deadline. Locked on Jazz is next. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 31st of January. The Jazz season already successful. What does it mean for the trade deadline? Rumors abounding involving multiple players. We'll touch on those and... The wild and crazy Western Conference plus late game watching involves Minnesota who may have figured out Rudy Gobert, Dallas with Doncic, as well as Detroit and Sacramento last night. That's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it Way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps and on YouTube. Be a part of the group. Be a part of Locked on Jazz. Be a smarter Jazz fan. Have more fun. Just life becomes better, hopefully. Today's show is brought to you in part by FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked on. Make every moment more, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. The Jazz season is already a success. Really, it already is. Will Hardy was a huge question mark. Check. Accumulating a bunch of assets in in the trades. And then you were just wondering about the players. The, the, the story, though, when you traded Donovan was you were getting three picks and two pick swaps, and we all tried to evaluate what that might mean. And those all seem to actually hang on whether or not Donovan stays in Cleveland or not. Minnesota, you got four first-round picks. One of them protected the one longest down, a pick swap, I think. And you were like, okay, like we'll see. That all depends on how Rudy ages and whether Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns or somebody opts out. Well, it turned out that in the midst of that, you got Lowry Markkinen, and you got who turned out, turned out to be an all-star and a key piece for the future moving forward. You got Walker Kessler, the 22nd pick of the draft that at the time felt like almost a throw and certainly wasn't, who looks like a bona fide starting center, 25 to 30 minutes a night in the NBA. Yesterday's show, we really broke down what he's done so far. It's pretty great. And you might have got another find on Ochai Abaji. Let's give him time. Let him just slow been a slow developer in his other spots. Let him have time this time to do the same. So it's already a raging success. So with the season a success, we got to go to Beanie Lock. Um, with the season a success, and further ahead than you would ever anticipate, it's pretty clear from everything that we've heard, Tim McMahon on Zach Lowe's podcast, conversations with Danny Ainge, Conversations with Justin Zanuck, watching the Jazz, that despite that, nothing's changed. This is, they aren't. First thing is, despite the noise that has gone on around them, they're not tanking. Right? They, they haven't done one thing yet in any trade at any point to tank. They traded... Patrick Beverly for Taylor Horton Tucker to get better and put guys more in line with their ages. Beverly doesn't work on the timetable. And Taylor Horton Tucker is probably better than Patrick Beverly at this point. 
Not as many antics, but probably better. They traded Boyan Bogdanovich to open the door for Kelly Olynyk to play to bring in Kelly. Excuse me, to open the door for Larry Markkinen to play to bring Kelly Olynyk to be able to move the basketball because we didn't have any basketball movers to be a better basketball team and to clear cap space so they have more flexibility for future moves down the road. Every single move that has been made has been made with a vision toward the future with people in the same timeline, with players that either match and they're finding out. Let, what, what can Colin Sexton's value be? What can Taylor Horton Tucker's value be? What can, what can these guys possibly bring? What does Malik and Jared? And they're finding out. So as we head to the trade deadline and there's all these rumors and the, the plan is still the plan. And I got to tell you, I love it. I would hate to see and I've seen it happen before in Phoenix where you have a vision of what you're doing, your team outperforms, you pivot and then you bury, then you get caught. Then you bury your franchise. Like I still think there's a chance that next year is going to be tougher to get these kind of wins than this year, frankly. Maybe not. Maybe Lowry and Walker are too good and Will's too good. But if you go back and look at the Suns in Hornacek's first year, they were 25 and 57. They were in year like one of a rebuild. And Hornacek took over. I mean, very similar to Will Hardy. And they went 48-34 and 34 in this stunning year that nobody anticipated. Goran Dragic got bettered. And then Phoenix pivoted. And they went for it. And then they became a disaster. Then they suddenly were 500 the next year and everyone was displeased with Jeff Hornacek. And then, then they kind of, well, maybe we should rebuild. And then Hornacek gets fired halfway through. Then Earl Watson takes over. And that was a mess. And then next thing you know, they're at 23, 24, 21, 19 wins. And they're really actually a mess until they go to the bubble. Like, they are the team most changed. Monty Williams changes their culture. And they're the most changed team ever by COVID. Lakers got a championship. But this was, they were in a rebuild and they pivoted out of it. We're we're not doing that. We're in the first stage of a rebuild. We're doing it while staying competitive and entertaining and great. But it doesn't mean we're suddenly changing. Now, does that mean that we don't go trade for John Collins, who's, timeline is the exact same as is where the Jazz are, who's got three years left on his deal, who is a buy low prospect right now, who maybe is maybe that's the right answer and, and he fits you believe he fits well with Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler and it actually is a good match and you go make that trade and you know that trade I think has to be Malik and Jared and and we'll see, time will tell whether or not you if you did that deal, do you get better? You might get better. Immediately. But it's not with the intention of this season in mind. I don't think you're going to see the Jazz make trades that do either of those two things, that do anything to orchestrate the outcome of wins this year in a negative or positive way. There are a ton of rumors out there. Andy Larson wrote a piece at SL Trib. Hope you subscribe. Uh, Hoops Hype has a bunch of them that are being mentioned Shams does say the Jazz have been the most engaged with John Collins. Collins is interesting. Next three years, he's got 25 and $26 million on his books each year. Uh, Indiana and New Orleans are involved, according to reports. Um, I think the most interesting one on this is Indiana, who just re-signed Miles Turner. So they've now got, they're very similar to where we are. Indiana and Utah are going to be very similar. They made the trade. They got Tyrese Halliburton. They have Miles Turner. They've got these 25-year-old pieces. They don't really want to go to the bottom. Their owner, Simon, has never wanted to do that. So very similar spot to where Utah is. Uh, 
Shams also has the Cavaliers talking about Malik Beasley. I mean, it was I joked about this when we played Cleveland. There was nothing more obvious than how badly they needed Malik Beasley. Um, that has to do with a three-way deal in which the Jazz end up with Collins. I mean, I joked the other day that you're sitting there and Cleveland calls and says, hey, we, we, we're interested in Malik. And we say, oh, that's fine. Like, how about a first-round pick? And like Kobe Altman, the GM of Cleveland, like, well, you have our 25, you have our 26, you have the rights, you have our 27, you have rights to our 28, and you have our 29. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so kind of um, it's ironic it's ironic that the two teams that actually are the most likely for the Jazz to do deals with right now um, would be Cleveland and Minnesota. Because Minnesota's got to trade D'Angelo Russell. The point guard shuffle is coming. Uh, Mike Conley, people are wondering on that deal. Remember, Mike Conley's got 14 of his $22 million next year guaranteed, which is going to make him a little harder to move than otherwise. The Wolves are really interesting. Like, do we make a move with the Wolves that make the Wolves better when we have their draft pick? I don't... I actually might not. I might not be willing to make a move for the Wolves that makes them better. Uh, Conley's often mentioned with the Clippers and the Wolves. I talked about the point guard shuffle that's taking place. Um, and that's Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Terry Rozier, D'Angelo Russell. I don't see Mike in the same ilk as that. I see Mike as a different piece. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think the point guard shuffle probably has to happen. Uh, Orlando is being rumored to be talked about Orlando and Dallas with Fred Van Vliet and the Clippers. So all three of those shooting at Van Vliet, Clippers, Orlando, and Dallas, well, who strikes out? And then are they going D'Angelo Russell? Are they going Terry Rozier? Like, how does that play? Um, Vando has talked about with the Heat in the Miami papers. Hoops Hype has talked about him with the Pacers. I mean, our poor guys are being talked about in everything. Tim McMahon... Talked about a Dorian with Carl, with Zach Lowe. Talked about a Dorian Finney-Smith Malik Beasley deal. Poor guys. Like, thank goodness we're home and they have the support of their families and everything else right now because this has just got to be, got to be brutal to have every single day some other mention of some sort going on with it. What makes this the nuttiest, which makes this the nuttiest, is what's going on in the West. We'll talk about it. Look at three projection systems, and it's absolutely bonkers what's taking place in the West right now. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at uh, Murdoch Hyundai. Murdoch, they just do great. The Murdochs are fabulous. Uh, Blake's just, Blake, Ben, uh, Tyson, they're just good people. That's been the number one thing is I've been their spokesperson now for probably over five years. Um, how much I enjoy them as people and how sincere they are in business. And, you know, when running Locked On, I get this fortunate thing where I get to like share business acumen and things with Blake and ask questions and learn from him who's been running a company a lot longer than I have. It's always insightful and interesting. I mean, these are just good people. Hyundai's got the incredible lineup of cars. When you start doing the math and you start breaking down, okay, I get this, 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 and this, and this, and it costs me this, this, and this, the, the teeter-totter goes to Hyundai. Then you just decide whether or not you think the look is right whether that's the car you want to drive. Like I've always thought, I think I've told the Honda Pilot uh, Acura MDX story from like a long time ago. It's like I did the research and this was 20 years ago and the Honda Pilot was the answer and I literally was like about to sign the papers and I was like, I don't like the way it looks. So I walked across the street to Acura, paid a lot more, got a car that had all the same features and I liked the way it looked. Like, um, and we had it for 14 years. So that's, you know, Hey, you're making the decision here. You just got to like what you want. So go stop by Murdoch Hyundai. If you're going to, though, email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and let us give you the VIP meeting 
with Cameron and Murray, with Jake in Linden, or if you're heading up to Logan, let me know. So email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. FanDuel is the new Locked On official sportsbook. We couldn't be more excited to have the number one sportsbook in America uh, as our sponsor, as our official sportsbook, as our um, lines answer. Um, And this year, the only app you need for Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The new betting partner, why? Because they just do things so well. So download the FanDuel app now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if you if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads. Who will score a touchdown? FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe and secure and super easy to use. Best of all, you'll get paid for your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today and slash go FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL and the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Thanks so much for making Locked On your first listen of the day. For your second listen, it's the 22-minute sports rundown. Locked on sports today, getting you all the news. Notes you need to know about everything going on in the sports world because if you have a dog, cat, kid, job, life, anything, hobby, you can't follow everything going on in the sports world, we'll do it for you with Locked on sports today. All right. Um, I don't know whether or not this is going to work. does not look like it's going to. Okay. Um, there is nuttiness going on everywhere right now. Pure, unadulterated nuttiness going on right now. And what that nuttiness is, is the balance in each of the conferences. So let's see if I can pull this up for you. Here's 538s. Nope, you're getting, I don't know why you're getting that. You're getting my OBS set up. Nope. Okay. Um, I can't pull it up for you because I didn't do it right somehow. Um, the, the Western Conference is absolutely bonkers right now. And... If we look at the projections of 538, and what 538's projections are, are that 538 projects how the season is going to go the rest of the way. And when they project what they have projected for the rest of the way, what they end up with, this is crazy, in the Western Conference. Okay, no, they have the Grizzlies in, they have the Nuggets winning it with the Grizzlies as two. No big deal. They right now have the third seed of the 538 of the Western Conference, the third seed as a complete tie. The Mavericks at 44, the Warriors at 44, the Suns at 44. So that's three, four, five. The sixth seed, the last team that makes the playoffs, is the Kings at 43, the Clippers at 43. That's six. The Jazz come in at eight at 42 and 40. The Timberwolves come in at ninth at 41, though I'll tell you in the last game, listen, I've, I've watched them and I think they have it figured out. 
The Blazers come in at 10th at 39. The Thunder and Lakers at 11 and 12 at 38. Okay? So the first thing is 39 wins gets you into the play, according to 538. The second thing is the Jazz at 8 would play the 7 matchup right now against the Clippers or the Kings. Winner gets in. Here's the nuttiness. Three through nine is separated by three wins at the end of the season. Three through nine. Nine's like having a hard, got to win a road game to get in. You got to win a home game and a road game, frankly, to get in at nine. Separated by, by one, by literally by three games. And then if you're the Lakers or the Thunder, you're sitting at 38, which also says like if the Jazz... <clears throat> If the Jazz want to go play draft pick games, which again, I don't think they're going to do, it's very, very easy for the Jazz to get to the sixth pick of this draft. The Pacers are at 37 right now. The Magic at 31. The Jazz aren't getting to 31, but you can get in between those two and be the sixth, sixth slot in this NBA draft very quickly. Again, I don't think the Jazz are going to orchestrate for this, but if they make trades and that's the worst thing that happens, they compete for a playoff spot all the way up to the final day, and then they end up in the sixth spot, that's fine. It's actually... Long, strong argument that that actually is the best scenario. Weird, but true. Okay, that's 538. Let's go to ESPN's BPI system. They have Denver at 25, Memphis at, or 52. Sorry, that was dyslexia. Memphis at 52. Okay, no big deal. Clippers, who in 538 system is at 43. They have the Clippers at the third seed at a bigger number at 46. And then they have the Kings at 46. Remember, that number was 44, according to 538. And then they have Phoenix at 44 as the five seed. Warriors at 44 as the six seed. Dallas at 42 as the seven seed. Jazz at 41 at the eight seed. Minnesota at 41 as the nine seed. Portland at 40 as the 10 seed and New Orleans out as the 11 with Oklahoma or with LA at 39 and Oklahoma City still slipping to 36. They still have some offseason projections expected. It, it it is wacky 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 how close this all is. And how this is going to play out. Basketball reference has Denver at 53, Houston at, or Memphis at 52. Okay, those two are different. They then have Sacramento considerably different than everyone else at 47. Here's the next thing that's wild about this. Three different projection systems, which we've, if you've listened to Locked on Jazz and been a part of our group for a long time, you know we've done this for a while. We've never had this. One of them has the Mavs at three. Another one has the Clippers at three. And the third system has the Kings at three. They're all different systems, but usually it's pretty clear who it is. <coughs> Basketball reference has the Kings separating. Then the Sun, Then they have the Suns at 43 at 4, which is interesting. All these projections have the Suns much better than it feels. Mavericks at 42. Pelicans at 42 at 6. Golden State at 42 at 7. Jazz at 42 at 8. All the same. 5, 6, 7, 8. Oklahoma City at 42 at 9. Clippers at, 40, at 41 at 11. Minnesota at 41 and out. Portland at 39. Lakers at 37. 
We don't have consensus on who's three. We don't have consensus on who's 11. We don't have consensus on who's 12. We don't have consensus on anything other than the Jazz or 8-9 as they sit right now. And this makes this trade deadline even wackier than it's ever been before. It also makes every single night seemingly incredibly important right now. And it means everyone's trying to figure out their little edge on what they can do next. It has every team from four through eight has a chance of being out of the playoffs by more than 10%. Phoenix, 10% out. Dallas, 14% out. New Orleans, 12% out. Golden State, 19% out. Jazz, 18% out. Thunder, 22% out. Clippers, 33% out. Minnesota, 36% out. This is basketball reference. Portland, 50% out. Lakers, 86% out. I think that's probably wrong on the Lakers. Though the officials hate the Lakers, clearly. Um, I'm joking. Pretty wild. And the impact of this is that this trade deadline gets even nuttier, but it also means that every game matters. And we're here's what gets really interesting to me is we're at peak health. We're at the healthiest we've been all season and playing the best we've been, and we're better than we've been at any point all season long. With Walker Kessler starting, Vando coming off the bench, Conley figuring out the knee injury, Will Hardy getting better every day. We're better than we've ever been before. And now, like, what do you do? All right, the next thing that's completely wild, and then we'll get to late game watch, is the stretch of games that are coming up for teams before the All-Star break and the impact they're going to have. I want to run through it with you because I think if you're a big-time basketball fan, which you are being a part of this group, I think you'll care about this. Um, Sacramento's win last night was mammoth to the Kings, and I'll explain that, plus late-game watch on those Minnesota. I think Minnesota's figured it out. Some thoughts on Dallas last night as well as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. All this said, your second listen today can be Locked on NBA Big Board, our draft show. Um, I told you I would try to get a draft guy on. We'll see if I can do that tomorrow. Um, fun to have fun to have that and give, get some insight on what's going on with the draft. College basketball is kind of wacky. Everyone's bouncing around. Um, and so we'll see who's out there. All right, here's just a quick rundown of just the next, to the break. I mean, to the trade deadline is quicker, but to the break. Sacramento is on the road for all but two games. They go to San Antonio, Indiana, New Orleans, Houston, Houston. Five winnable Easy road games is Sacramento, who has, to their credit, won eight of their last 11, ready to be that mature team that goes and beats San Antonio, Indiana, New Orleans, Houston, Houston. They should win five straight here on the road, having won last night against Minnesota, be six straight. Then they come back home for back-to-backs against Dallas before going to Phoenix before the break. Like, is, I think there's a huge stretch to find out where Mike Brown's team is. Phoenix, who Devin Booker does not sound that close. He's lifting weights and doing stuff, but he's not hes not playing five-on-five, five, which leads me to believe we're probably not seeing him, who've suddenly turned the corner having won six of their last seven. They play Atlanta at home on Wednesday. They then go play every game on the road before the break except for a final two. They go Boston, Detroit, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Indiana for a East Coast road trip that could be really, really important. They come home, then play Sacramento, and the Clippers before the break. Like, I think that's a huge stretch for Phoenix. Like, is Phoenix ready without Devin Booker to be able to go on the road and do that? Dallas, who got a monster win 
uh, last night with Luka coming back for 50 against uh, Detroit, who they let hang around, and Boyan was unbelievable. They play New Orleans at home tonight, uh, or tomorrow night, or Thursday night, excuse me. And then they go on the road before the break. They play the Warriors, Jazz, Clippers, Kings, Kings. Home for one against San Antonio at Dallas. Excuse me, at Denver. So that's Dallas, Golden State, Utah, Clippers, Kings, Kings, Minnesota for one at home back out to Denver. That's on a team that has not been playing particularly well. That could be a really key stretch for Dallas. I mean, these everyone has this little stretch right now that as you look at the schedule, this has got to be the most important time of the season. Pelicans have lost eight straight. They're in Denver tonight. They're in Dallas on Thursday. They're then home for Lakers, Kings, Hawks, Cavaliers before back on the road to Thunder and Lakers. The question is whether they've just lost it. They lost eight in a row. The Warriors, who are the grand mystery of the league, there are data points. You put five-man lineup out, they're still the best team in the league. On the other thing, when they're all playing, they're actually still not that good. They've won three in a row. They have kind of the most normal schedule. They play at Minnesota on Wednesday, back-to-back at Denver. We'll see who plays. Then they're home against Dallas and Oklahoma City, at Portland, home against Lakers, Wizards, at Clippers, at Lakers before the break. Back-to-back. Oh, no, that second game might might actually be after the break. I think they do something weird like where they play them back-to-back. So they don't have the that unique a schedule. The Jazz, we have this homestand, and then we go east. And if we, you know, we can profit right now. Toronto, Atlanta, Dallas, Minnesota, can we win our next four at home before Toronto, New York, Indiana, Memphis, and then we're done? That's hard. Though I always think a road game on the last game of the, uh, before the All-Star break is a big advantage. I've said that before. Uh, all right, final one to look at is the Clippers, but we just don't have any idea about the Clippers because their road management. And then Minnesota, I want to just to show you a little bit because I actually watched Minnesota last night and think they're about to take off. Uh, Clippers are funky because they're on the road. They're in Chicago, Milwaukee, New York, Brooklyn, and then they come home for four before and then pop back out for their last one. They're, theirs is regular. They're weird. They're 28 and 25 without even trying. Um, probably we should all be being aware of the Clippers. All right, let's talk Minnesota from late game watch last night. I think we're going to start seeing on our trends Monday, Minnesota in the top of the league defensively. For the first time last night when I watched Minnesota, they understood how to use Rudy Gobert. They looked really good. And Rudy was dominant. Now, with all of that said about Rudy, and he was great. I mean, he was really, really great last night. Is that still the weaknesses of Rudy showed up. And what I mean by that, and I have a million notes here, and of course none of them are the one I'm looking for. Um, is what showed up last night. Oh, here they are. Is, first of all, Rudy's dropping in the pick and roll. He, if you remember from his days with the Jazz, Sabonis can't play against him. So Sabonis fouls out. He's super frustrated. He gets a technical. Um, Mike Brown did some neat things with Sabonis where they stopped putting him in the pick and roll and they just put him flat on the baseline because, and this is like my concern if I was in Minnesota about Rudy. There's two concerns about Rudy. One is when you go small and two is that teams have just gotten so used to it defending against the best defensive player in the world for eight years that they've begun to have systems to beat him. And so they finally started playing Sabonis flat and letting Fox just go one-on-one. No pick, nothing. Well, then Rudy's kind of stuck, and he's not as impactful because he was dominating the game in drop big, altering shots right and left, made a huge stop at the end of regulation. Rudy was unbelievable last night. Problem is Sabonis fouls out, and then Trey Lyles plays center, and now Rudy's stuck closing to the corner, and Trey Lyles buries a big three, and they 
And actually, in the fourth quarter, the overtime, the fourth quarter, Rudy was totally dominant, and the overtime was really tough on Rudy. Like, it'd be interesting if you're scouring Minnesota Timberwolves Reddit today, what they're saying. Because Rudy kept them in the game. They should have won the game. And they go to overtime, and suddenly Trey Lyles is hitting threes. And I think Malik Monk hits a three, and a bunch of other guys make threes, and they're all off rotations where Rudy is stuck because they're playing five out now. Um, So that was super interesting to see both Minnesota figure out Rudy both offensively and defensively. Uh, And at the same time, then all of his weaknesses show up. Uh, Rudy went two of four from the free throw line late. He's actually been shooting free throws great. He's at 73% in the clutch. Last night, he just went two for four. Uh, Anthony Edwards rejects every screen. He is awesome. He is not great in traffic. He makes a lot of mistakes in traffic, uh, but he is awesome. He scored 30-plus last night and carried them. Um, And, you know, their problem really is that when D'Angelo Russell comes back in the game, he wants the ball, and they're better off with Ant just kind of running it from the top. Um, Minnesota really throws this one away last night. Like, Minnesota goes 13-25 from the free throw line. They turn it over 18 times. Like, Minnesota should have won this game. Like, this is a game where you give Sacramento credit because it's a monster win for them because they got utterly outplayed, at least in the parts that I watched. Yet, they stayed in the game. They put themselves in a position to win. They played good defense. Minnesota's offensive rating was like 100 last night. It was too terrible. Um, and so, you got to give Sac- – it's kind of where Sacramento might actually be really good because they're this incredible offensive juggernaut, and they just won this game where they didn't do that at all. Uh, De'Aaron Fox made a bunch of plays late. His clutch play has just been great. They did not use Kevin Herter at all last night. He was just a non-factor. He went one of seven. He didn't close the game. D'Angelo Russell barely closed in regulation. He came back in with like two minutes left. It's almost as though they're trying to keep him out as long as they possibly can. Uh, It does feel like Chris Finch is really doing a balancing act um, there. All right, the other one I watched was Dallas versus Detroit. Luka's... Dallas has the number one half-court offense in the NBA. We didn't have to see it. We get to see it Saturday. Um, And it's because everyone's double-teaming Luka on every possession, and so therefore they swing it around, they get it to open looks, and they have the number one half-court offense in the league. Okay, well, last night they decided to really not double Luka quite as much. So Luka dropped 50. If you don't double Luka, he drops 50. Like, that's where we are. He dropped 60 the other night. He dropped 50 the other night. He dropped 50. If you're not double-teaming Luka, he drops 50. Um which is amazing. Dinwiddie kind of carried them early in the fourth after having a bad night. Um, Watching Detroit's interesting. You always wonder why coaches say you can't win with young players. And Detroit is the example. Jaden Ivey's a nice player. But, like, Detroit, the ball comes out of Luka's hand. Actually, I don't think Luka's back in the game yet. This is a key possession because Luka's not in the game. Dallas is swinging around the outside. Ivey's shifted over. He just doesn't shift all the way back. Like, he's just two steps short because he's... 20 years old and in his 50th game of the NBA. This isn't like mean anything about his future, just what he is. And Josh Green just has a straight line to the basket for a dunk. All Ivy had to do was take two more steps to his left in his rotation. He just didn't do it because he's just like, he'll do it next time because he just got packed on. Uh, but, and then Killian Hayes just takes shots he shouldn't take. He was three of 16 last night. He's just a terrible shooter and he still continues to shoot, which I guess you want him to do, but he's shooting 39% from the field and 32% from three. So in the final five minutes, I might not take the corner three. I might not take the above the break three. Um, young players just like making mistakes. Alec Burks looked really good. If I was a team, I'd want to trade for him. Boyan Bogdanovich was incredible. He's like their go-to guy. He is taking step back threes over the top. They're running every out-of-bounds play to him. These are not things I thought he could do. 
Um, we did it occasionally with him, but usually he was playing off Don and off Mike. They are literally just going to him. It is a struggle for him at times, but he made a ton of plays last night. He was outstanding. His fourth quarter last night, he had 12 points. It's cool to watch. Um, Boyan's just awesome. And then the best part about it is that Boyan wanted Luka. Like, Boyan was like, I will guard Luka. And then they were literally getting Boyan shift, uh, switched off of Luka last night because Luka didn't want to be guarded by Boyan, which sends back to the playoffs. And they, he wanted to be guarded by any of the other guys on the floor that he could be guarded by by Detroit other than Luka, which was pretty interesting. Then, of course, they were doubling Luka, spinning it around, and Luka would get it back sometimes. Give Jason Kidd credit. He's running some nice stuff where Luka's coming to the post up at the nail. Dallas is in a vault, is, has been good late game because of Luka, but this, they're not sustainable right now. It's not going to work that just Luka gets double teamed every time and he can't get it back. And so you're seeing them begin to move Luka off the ball, begin to see Spencer Dinwiddie start the play and get it to Luka at the nail. Then the double team comes and they get a lot more quick action out of it. Um, and what they were doing before, everything was just swing, swing, swing to a three. Um, Dallas is Dallas is getting better. This is why watching late games is so interesting. Dallas is getting better at this as the year goes on. Um, and I would suspect we start to see them kind of pick it up a little bit. They're, they're evolving as a team. I think I feel like Luke is kind of understanding what Jason Kidd wants him to do. I think it's against his natural. I, I think Luca doesn't want to run and Luca doesn't want to give up the ball, but I think he understands he probably has to do those things. Um, at this point. All right, that is our late game watch. That is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks so much for being a part of our group and being a part of the Locked on Jazz community. This is Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.